The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, our telehealth center, we have brand new telehealth patient options now open. Check them out. Lots of free resources as well for you, all at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners, we're giving away tons of free healthy stuff no matter when you listen to this episode. So all you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can take a screenshot of that review and message me on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple podcast reviews themselves, randomly picking winners every single month. And then I'll reach out to you. We'll ask what you want. What are we giving away? We're giving away free signed books. We're giving away some of my favorite supplements, like Holy Main, different protocols and stacks we have at drwillcole.com. We're giving away free functional medicine, telehealth consults with the team and I, Lots of options for you. So if you win, we'll reach out, we'll ask what you want, and then we'll either send it out to you or get you scheduled for it. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. He's a longtime friend of mine, brilliant colleague. His name is Dr. Stephen Gundry. Dr. Gundry is one of the world's top cardiothoracic surgeons and a pioneer in nutrition. He hosts a top-rated health podcast called the Dr. Gundry Podcast. He is the founder and director of the International Heart and Lung Institute Center for Restorative Medicine and founder of Gundry MD, a line of wellness products and supplements. After a distinguished surgical career as a professor and chairman of cardiothoracic surgery at Loma Linda University, Dr. Gundry changed his focus to curing modern diseases via dietary changes. He's the author of New York Times bestsellers like The Plant Paradox, The Plant Paradox Cookbook, The Plants Paradox Quick and Easy, and The Longevity Paradox, along with national bestsellers like The Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, The Energy Paradox, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, and Unlocking the Keto Code. He has had more than 300 articles published in peer-reviewed journals on using diet and supplements to eliminate heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, and multiple other health problems. He's also the author of the brand new book, which you're going to learn all about. It's called Gut Check. Without further ado, let's get right to it. This is Dr. Stephen Gundry's Art of Being Well. Dr. Gundry, my friend, thanks for coming back on the podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, well, good to see you again. Nice to see you too. It's a shame, man. I, I, we need a hangout more than just podcasts and social media in real life, hopefully sometime soon. One of these days, we're all beginning to travel again, and yeah. know, we'll, we'll connect up. I, I, yeah, I want, I want that. All right, let's jump into this. Gut health. It's going to be like a, a gut health 2.0 masterclass with the man himself, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Let's talk about gut diversity, microbiome diversity, 
people may have heard that, maybe not. Why is that important? Why should people care about microbiome diversity? Well, you know, our our microbiome is this incredible tropical rainforest, (laughs) this amazing uh, in a tropical rainforest or any forest for that matter. There are many, many interdependent species that work in this ecosystem to make that ecosystem function. And from, you know, upper level predators to the lowliest little slug, each part of an ecosystem is incredibly important. As I mentioned in the past, we've learned that taking out a terrible animal like a wolf out of Yellowstone Park because it's bad just completely disrupted that ecosystem. The elk overgrew, they ate all the little seedlings or saplings, the beavers had nothing to build beaver dams from, they didn't back up the water, the fish were different, and the whole thing fell apart. You add back in that evil, mean predator, and everything finally gets back to normal. In terms of gut health, what's been clearer and clearer and clearer is that there are many species that we need in our gut, and I hate to use the expression, but it takes a village, that one of the things that I talk about in Gut Check is we now know that you may need four or five different species of bacteria for species one to eat something that you ate, produce a compound that species two needs to eat to produce a compound that species three needs to eat to produce a compound that species four needs to eat, but will actually be the compound that will do something to you. And I think one of the better examples of that is with this uh, compound called urolithin A. And urolithin A, for those who aren't aware, is this really cool postbiotic Mm -hmm. that is formed if you have the right set of bacteria from precursors in raspberries, pomegranates, walnuts. And if you have the right set of bacteria, you can turn these precursors into urolithin A. Why might you want to do that? Well, If you look at super old people, like I talk about in Gut Check, 50 to 70% of super old people make urolithin A, or their gut does. But only 14 to 20% of us mere mortals have the right set of bacteria to take, you know, raspberries and walnuts and pomegranates and make urolithin A. So the sad thing is, and I think we're beginning to really realize this more and more, you need these various bacteria and the precursors they make to Mm -hmm. get the end product that we need. And and of course, as you and I know, we've done a really good job of destroying our microbiome. We have have carpet bombed it. We have put napalm on it and Mm -hmm. we don't have that diversity anymore. Mm -hmm. So, the postbiotic, urolithin A, maybe touch on what it does. I've seen studies with mitophagy. I'd love you for you to get into that. And yeah, let's start there. And I have so many questions to unpack from that. Yeah. So urolithin A is proven 
to promote mitophagy and simplistically that's you know self-eating mitochondria people have heard of autophagy which is the whole cell self-eating and making a new one but mitochondria are essential to produce ATP and mitochondria get damaged. Uh, we're really good at damaging mitochondria, and there, I've written whole books on how to restore mitochondrial health. But part and parcel of this is damaged mitochondria really do need to involute and recycle themselves because if a mitochondria explodes like apoptosis, Strangely enough, the mitochondrial membrane is viewed by our immune system as a bacterial cell wall, which mm -hmm. it was two billion years ago, yeah. and literally causes inflammation if your mitochondria die and explode. So not a good idea. So a compound that would tell mitochondria, hey, repair yourselves and don't explode uh, <laughs> is a really good idea. <laughs> Seems to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, let, let's get more of that. Let's get more. Of that. Yeah. Got and, it. you know, and, and to this timeline, nutrition is the company that patented this. And I have no relationship with them, but I'm a big fan of them. And I yeah. had their president on my podcast and their chief science officer. And yeah. I think they're the more work that's been done on your A, the more impressive a compound it is. I mean, build more muscle mass, more strength without additional exercise. I mean, exercise in a bottle, wow. And a year and a half ago, I walked by one of their booths and I said, hey, you know, I, I think your compound is a really cool anti-cancer agent. And they go, oh yeah? I said, yeah, if you ever want to talk about it, you know, give me a holler. So fast forward, I get a cold call from the president and the chief science officer and they said, how did you know that this might be an interesting anti-cancer agent? I said, well, you know, why? And they said, well, we just completed a study and yeah, it's a really interesting anti-cancer agent. And we want to know, you know, what do you know? And, but yeah, so here's another thing that, and again, it's getting, quite frankly, getting mitochondrial health back online. And many of us believe that cancer is in fact a mitochondrial partly a mitochondrial dysfunction problem. Mm -hmm. So makes sense. Got it. I love it. We had the chief science officer on the art of being well, for everybody listening, go back and listen to that episode and them on Dr. Gundry's podcast too. All right. So the question comes to mind, the person listening to this, they are doing lots of things for their gut health. They're going to learn even more in today's conversation that they haven't tried. But the common question that I get that I know you get too is, all right, I did I wrecked my body for years. Like I ate the standard Western diet. I was on antibiotics as a kid. I didn't even have a say in this. Maybe later on in life, I didn't know any better. And I was like doing lots of things like alcohol and bad foods and, you know, living in the modern life. These important microbes that produce things like urolithinate endogenously or just microbiome diversity, even beyond that postbiotic, how difficult is it to replenish and support bacterial diversity with a really dysfunctional gut? You know, I, and I've used this example, let's living in California, we get forest fires and everything burns to the ground. If we then put in little seedlings, it will take 20 or 30 years for that ecosystem to reestablish. And when I first started doing this over 20 years ago, 
I guess I was pretty naive that I could fix this. So in a couple of weeks, you know, give people probiotics and have them eat prebiotic fiber and blah, blah, blah. And when leaky gut tests became available and standardized, you know, boy, was I wrong. And, you know, I've published that it can take literally most people nine months to a year to repair leaky gut. Can it be repaired? Absolutely. But the timeline is is longer than I think people expect. Certainly, mm-hmm. we check leaky gut markers uh, every three months, and we absolutely see improvement, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. dramatically imp- improvement in three months. But to get all the way there is, is I think, harder work than people appreciate. And all mm-hmm. I can say is, well, you've burned down your forest. And mm-hmm. You've got to rebuild it from the ground up. And a lot of that rebuilding is the realization that there are multiple species that are dependent on other species production for, Mm -hmm. you know, their health. And Mm -hmm. that's the ecosystem part that maybe we've been naive about. I certainly was. Right. Same. And yeah, I, I agree with you. That timeline is exactly what we see clinically too. Sometimes even long, obviously not intestinal permeability per se, but even up to two years, it could take some people yes. that are really wrecked with autoimmune problems. So just maybe just to encourage, encourage people that it does take time. You know, it does take time. It's not that you have, we're not saying you have to wait that long to feel better, but it's this, you know, project, this art that you're building over time that is your health. Every time I post about the negative health effects of drinking alcohol. It goes viral on social media. Let's just say I trigger a lot of people when I talk about how alcohol can really impact your gut health negatively, your detox pathways. It's a neurotoxin, your skin health, lots of things, even small amounts of drinking alcohol consistently. So I'm committed, not just for our telehealth patients, but for everybody that listens to the podcast and follow me on social media to make not drinking alcohol or drinking less, cool, and really empowering people with ways that they can drink things that love them back and they don't feel like crap the next day. Here is a pro tip. If you're up for giving dry a try, swapping out just one drink at the bar when you're out with your friends, the weekend, whenever, with a product that I love, it's called Athletic Non-Alcoholic Beer. It totally counts, and I would encourage you to try. And pro tip, it's way easier with award-winning taste like athletics. You're going to get zero hangover. There's zero downsides to this. And athletic is a certified B Corp. So you can feel great about drinking great brews all month long. There's so many great flavors that athletic brewing has, like the athletic light, the upside down golden, the run wild IPA. Also, they have seasonal brews as well like the Wits Peak or All Out, check all of these out. So this January and beyond, give Dry a try with Athletic Brewing Company. Order online or find them at a store or bar nearby at athleticbrewing.com. Pro tip, use code WILLCOLE at checkout to get 15% off your first order online. That's code W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Hey, this is Sammy Clark. 
and this is Sammy Spalter. We are best friends, co-founders of our wellness platform, Form, and now hopefully your new favorite podcast host with our new podcast, Transform. We started Transform because we are constantly having all of these big life chats. So we thought it was time to bring the conversations to the mic for you to join in, knowing we can all relate to the forming the best version of ourselves. We will be chatting it up from everything from self-love, health and wellness, relationships, owning a business, and all of the other hills and valleys that is this big, beautiful life. Tune in every week, wherever you listen to your podcast. See you See soon. You soon. All right. So what if somebody doesn't have these sort of cornerstone colonies? Maybe they've run a test on their own, seen someone in functional medicine, and they don't have any the good bacteria. They, maybe the tests aren't picking it up. Maybe they are there. But is there any, what have you found with sort of replenishing these cornerstone colony forming units that maybe are low or not there? You know, I think one of the most important papers that influenced me in the last couple of years that I've written about in previous books, but I write about it again here, is the paper out of Stanford from the husband and wife team, the Sonnenbergs, looking at prebiotic fiber. And they took two groups of people. One group, they gave a lot of prebiotic fiber, primarily in the form of inulin. And they looked at gut microbiome diversity, and they looked at inflammatory markers. And they gave these folks a lot of this stuff. And lo and behold, they didn't improve their gut diversity, and they didn't improve their inflammatory markers. Hmm. They then took a group, gave them the same prebiotic fiber, but this time they gave them fermented foods, primarily in the form of yogurts and kefir vinegars, sauerkraut, but it was primarily yogurt, kefir. Mm -hmm. And they got prebiotic fiber. These guys, if you will, were charged with primarily postbiotics, and we can get into that. They got gut microbiome diversity improvement and their inflammatory markers went down. Hmm. And I think that again says you gotta you've gotta have precursors and you've got to have information from other bacteria in the form of dead bacteria and postbiotics to actually get the process primed it it literally takes a village and got it that that to me is a really exciting paper yeah so, so many of us say oh well you know our diet is Void, devoid of prebiotic fiber. I mean, let's admit it, but it's not just that. It's you look at conventional wisdom or ancient wisdom in all of these ancient societies and even modern societies, they have fermented food as a part of their mm -hmm. everyday diet. And yeah. we just don't. Yeah. So you're, you're advocating in this book, in your work, coming out of the literature that you know, is a combination of prebiotics, po probiotics, and postbiotics. Is that f fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think okay. a lot of people make the mistake. They're looking at it, they pick up a yogurt and it says, oh, active you know, cultures. Mm. I have a chapter called Dead Men Tell No Tales, But Dead Bacteria Do. <laughs> and, and what's fascinating it. is that the cell wall of bacteria contains a great deal of information that 
other bacteria can read and get information from. I have four dogs, a few rescues, and some of them are male. And of course, my male dogs sniff other male dogs' urine, and I have no interest in it, but they <laughs> they are fascinated with it. And you go, what the heck? Come on, let's go. Yeah. And no, they, you know, they're getting information. You know, f- you know, Fido down the street. I know what he had for breakfast this morning because it's in his urine. Or I know that dog, and I don't like him. So the fact that we don't understand that there might be information on the cell wall of bacteria doesn't mean that it is not happening. Mm-hmm. The example of this is Ackermansia, which is a keystone species, but there is very good literature that live acromancia is really good for you. But dead acromancia actually has some interesting health benefits. And Mm -hmm. so then you go, wow, I don't absolutely have to have this living bacteria. Mm -hmm. It will give information to other bacteria. I had a researcher recently actually on the podcast People can just go back a few episodes. We were talking about heat-killed probiotics. So is, that, is that what you're talking about? These, yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. Got it. So they're information for the microbiome. And it, what he postulated was that it's the maybe live probiotics could maybe cause some Herx responses, die off and kind of shift the microbiome. These tend to, you get the benefits without these negative drawbacks. Is that what you're finding as well? Yeah, and I think we've been naive, again, to think that most of the fermented foods, most of the probiotics that we swallow most likely never get past gastric acid, number one. Number two, most of these species are not native to us if they survive. I joke that they spend a couple weeks of vacation and kind of hanging out, enjoying the, and then they leave and that you may just have to keep repopulating. Pendulum Life, who makes Acromancia, won't tell me whether they think that their human strain will ever repopulate our gut or whether we have to keep swallowing it. Mm-hmm. Why would they, right? right? But yeah, these I think the information of dead bacteria is really important. And I think the other thing that we're missing is that during this fermentation process, these bacteria or yeast or both make postbiotic messages, whether they're short-chain fatty acids, whether they're gases, whether they're a combination. And it's this postbiotic message that's contained in these fermented foods that is probably the most important part of all this. So I think you know, we probably don't have to refrigerate our kimchi or our sauerkraut and vinegars. Vinegars are are a great source Mm -hmm. of a short chain fatty acid, acetic acid. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that surprised me, maybe it shouldn't have, was that a lot of our butyrate producing bacteria, which is the holy grail of, Mm -hmm. you know, information, a lot of butyrate producing bacteria can't make butyrate without these other precursors, acetic acid. And you have to have either that in what you're ingesting, Mm -hmm. or you got to have another set of bacteria that's going to make these precursors that then the butyrate guys can then use. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just a whole lot more of an, of a 
ecosystem than we ever could have imagined. Right. A synergistic effect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like for sure on your to-do list for somebody listening is integrating probiotic rich foods. What are your favorites? Is it the kefirs and the yogurts that you saw in the studies? Like if you had to rate a rank the probiotic foods, what should people be buying? So I, I urge my patients to get uh, plain sheep and goat yogurts uh, if they can find them. Coconut yogurts are great. I'm not a big fan of A1 uh, milk products here in the United States. Luckily, there are A2 milk products now, uh, but goat and sheep are A2s. There is some evidence that fermentation in these products breaks down casein and makes it a less energetic compound. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, I really urge people to have vinegars. And I, you know, I'm the one who invented the fake Coke of putting balsamic vinegar and San Pellegrino and it became a TikTok craze. Yes. Okay. You were the guy behind this. I okay, was the okay. guy behind I'm the first guy who ever wrote <laughs> Dr. about Gundry. it. Dr. Gundry. And you can go back to my guessed. YouTube videos of like seven years ago and there it I is. I love it. I love that. I that I did not know that, but it makes complete sense knowing you that of course, yeah, it came from you. <laughs> yeah. And so that's an easy way to, mm -hmm. to get these postbiotics into you. I think the other thing that I make a, a strong hopefully case for is that fermented foods in cheeses, particularly goat and sheep cheeses, but any hard cheese like pecorino or even Parmesan are a great source of these compounds, these fermented information. Got it. And I think, and that explains a lot in my chapter about the blue zones aren't really blue zones, that all these people, four out of the five blue zones are sheep and goat herders, and mm. uh, they eat a lot of yogurts and kefirs and cheeses. I'm going to get to that because I want to debunk some blue zone stuff for sure. All right. What about fermented vegetables? You mentioned sauerkraut, kimchi, you know, kvass. Do you like those as well? Yeah. Okay. You know, any way we can get these fermented foods into us seems to me a good idea. Okay. I think the amazing thing is that even so everybody, you know, thinks I hate beans, that, you know, beans are evil because of the lectins in beans. But, but people don't realize that cultures that began eating beans always soaked their beans. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for at least 24 hours, sometimes 48 hours and having soaked beans, you get this scum uh, on the top of the water and, you know, bubbles well, that's the fermentation of these beans. Beans actually have their own bacterial coating. Mm. And so when you put them in water, they ferment and fermentation breaks down lectins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the Incas, they fermented their quinoa. They didn't just cook it. They let it yeah. rot. And so you look at all these cultures and they all had some fermentation process mm -hmm. that detoxified troublemakers, but also in the process had other compounds that yeah. benefited. Made them more digestible. Yeah. yeah. I love going to Sweet Green to get an amazing salad, which is perfect for anything you're looking to do this new year to get the year starting off right. But I have to tell you guys, I always thought Sweet Green was only 
a salad place, but they just launched these new protein plates. Oh my gosh, they're so freaking delicious. And it's actually a perfect because it's full of protein, which I know when I'm looking at patients' macronutrients, looking at their nutrient density, this is a common pitfall for new telehealth patients. And Sweetgreen makes it so freaking easy to get a delicious protein-packed meal. They have so many to choose from, like the miso-glazed salmon, the Southwest chicken fajita, and the hot honey chicken protein. My favorite one is probably the Southwest chicken fajita. I, honestly, I love the miso-glazed salmon. I love the hot honey chicken. So many to pick from. Try them all. The taste in each one is amazing. It's so filling. And when we optimize our protein throughout the day, and I want people to get at least 30 grams of protein per meal for 90 grams a day at the very least. This makes it so easy to fill in that protein gap throughout your day. It's going to stabilize your blood sugar. It's going to help with muscle building, with brain function, energy, so many things. And on top of the protein, they're packed with vegetables and other whole foods. And also, there's no seed oils in these. Only extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil. And what's super cool is that every sweet green location works with local farmers and suppliers, which means they are supporting our community. Use promo code COL5, that's C-O-L-E and the number five. Use promo code COL5 for $5 off for all new users. Try the all new protein plates at your local sweet green or in the sweet green app. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's all going? Well, I know it's all of those subscriptions. It is shocking. Think about it, guys. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, parenting apps, it's endless. I'm guilty of this as well. So I used Rocket Money to help me find out which subscriptions I'm actually spending money on. It was eye-opening and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket Money is this amazing personal finance app that I love and it finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They make it so simple for us. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So stop wasting your money, guys, on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash willcole. That's rocketmoney.com slash willcole, rocketmoney.com slash willcole. So going back to yogurt, you know, I mean, you and I, you go through the supermarket, you see this vast selection of yogurts and people, you know, love the sweet kind. There's so much to pick from. You mentioned the A2 and like sheeps and goats. You mentioned specific ones, right? But let's just say they don't go for sheep or goat. They don't even go for A2, right? They're just going for A1. We talked about, okay, that's not our favorite. It's not my favorite either. Do you feel like they're getting some benefit from getting the sugary yogurts because of the cultures or is there just, is that a waste of money? And it's basically like ice cream. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's your view on that? Is there some redemptive quality to these sugar yogurts or not? Well, again, please, 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 please don't get the fruit yogurts, please. Number two, don't get the vanilla flavored yogurt. I can't tell you the number of my patients who, you know, go and buy yogurt and I see that their triglycerides are going up or their insulins are going up and I'm going, what the heck, you know, what are you doing? You're eating a lot of sugar. Oh no, I'm not. And the owner, you know, I'm having, I'm having vanilla yogurt. There's no fruit in my yogurt. And I'm going, have you ever looked at the amount of sugar in a vanilla yogurt? And they go, no. So I have one in the office and I go, look, what? And so get plain yogurt. And if you don't like the tanginess, which a lot of people don't, mm -hmm. put some allulose in it, which is a prebiotic in and of itself or monk fruit. But mm -hmm. allulose is my new favorite and make it as sweet as you want. But one of my early sayings is retreat from sweet. I love it. So your favorite natural low carb sweetener would be allulose. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. I love it, too. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's only sweetener that's gotten an FDA approval as a prebiotic. Mm -hmm. And it's a true sugar, mm -hmm. which just doesn't have any calories. Yeah. I'm wondering why more brands that are going low carb or natural sweeteners don't use allulose. Do so you think more brands will as we're catching on? Or is it yeah, a co I, cost prohibitive I, thing? I think it's a cost. But yeah, it'll become more, you'll see it more and more. There yeah. are some even candies now, like chocolate bars that use allulose. Yeah. yeah. Does, I think that smart sweets use allulose. I'm, I'm not positive on that, but. There's a chocolate called Gatsby and I have no relation uh, that yeah. uses allulose now. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Fact check me on that with smart sweets. I'm not sure on that. All right. So let's talk about people hear about, okay, I want to eat the rainbow. I want to get antioxidants. I want to, you know, they hear about polyphenols. You talk in the book about how our gut is connected, even being able to even utilize this. Can you talk, what's the science say? Yeah, I've had the pleasure of going to, there's a, an annual meeting called Application of Polyphenols that happens over in Europe. And I have the pleasure of presenting papers there from time to time and learning. And I've written about this, the, the, the chairman of the meeting about oh, 10 years ago was in, it was in Lisbon and we have 400 people there. And the chairman, Marvin Aydiz from Paris, got up and he says, so anyone here who thinks that polyphenols or antioxidants can leave the room because you're so wrong. I don't have the time to catch you up. And I went, what? And so I befriended him. And it's true that polyphenols really are not antioxidants. Polyphenols are produced by plants to protect their form of mitochondria called chloroplasts from the damaging effect of sunlight, photons. Like I've talked about, oxygen for us is incredibly damaging to our mitochondria, but can't live with it, can't live without it. Sunlight, photons are extremely damaging to plant mitochondria, but you got to have photons to make ATP for a plant. So plants manufacture polyphenols to protect their mitochondria. And we don't need to get into it today, but they uncouple mitochondria. And when you uncouple mitochondria, 
mitochondria are number one, protected, and number two, that you make more mitochondria, which is a good thing. So when we eat polyphenols, we've known for many, many years that polyphenols are not absorbed well. And for years, we thought that polyphenols were working because they were bad for us and we, it produced hormesis. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm-hmm. Well, with recent research, we now understand that bacteria love polyphenols, that they're actually a prebiotic food for bacteria. And bacteria make polyphenols into bioavailable compounds. And those polyphenols then uncouple our mitochondria. And quite frankly, uncoupling your mitochondria to a point is a really good idea. So now we understand how they work. They don't work by that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Mm -hmm. They work in the same way they were working for a plant by Mm. protecting mitochondria. But the cool thing is you got to have bacteria getting back. You got to have the bacteria to make them into the active compounds. Got it. So should we people be focusing more on polyphenols, more on antioxidants, a bit of both? And like, what are your favorite foods for what we should be getting? Well, I think, again, the, the recommendation to eat the rainbow is incredibly important in that these rainbow colored colorings are actually the polyphenols. And mm-hmm. I think the other thing that's important I've written about and also in gut check is the spice trade of the middle ages. People don't risk their lives for much of anything. In fact, in the spice trade, about 50% of people involved in the spice trade died trying to bring spices back from the far East. And people don't die except for two things, drugs and sex, probably. (laughs) So this was drug trade. Mm. And People weren't willing to pay exorbitant amounts of money to have pepper on their steak or (laughs) cinnamon in their coffee. Just to use two examples, they were looking for a drug effect, a therapeutic effect. And it turns out that spices are just loaded with polyphenols. And so people recognize that this, you know, it was having an effect on their health and they were willing to pay big bucks for it. So, wow. Yeah, so, I think so the that, more spices you yeah. put in, the better. I love it. What are your favorite spices? I'm a huge fan of the basil family, mint and basil, sage, sage is part of that family. Sage, the Romans called sage salvia, save, you know, save you. And they're really cool compounds in sage. The other thing I think is just use any food, even, you know, an animal food as an excuse to get spices into your mouth, just have jars of spices laying around. It's just an easy way to get polyphenols into into your system. Are there any spices you don't recommend? I'm thinking of like maybe the nightshade spices for some people. Do you still a fan of those as a general rule or not? Well, I think fermentation of nightshades like pepper sauces, the fermentation will break down the lectins in peppers. So, you know, a hot sauce that has been fermented is usually perfectly safe. I think, fun fact, the Italians always peel and de-seed their peppers before they use them. In fact, 
get a jar of Italian red peppers, you'll notice there's no peels and seeds. And the, the peels and seeds were thrown away. Fast forward, it just so happens that that's where most of the heat is. And so red pepper flakes with the seeds and the flakes were actually came about because that was what they were throwing away. And now, of course, we do the exact opposite. We put those on our right. stupid pizza. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that and, was what was thrown away. Got it. I, as you were telling me about this history of spice trade, which I love that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm just putting this out there. Dr. Gundry's first fiction book is like a historical fiction about the spice trade, murder, mayhem, talking about spice as drugs, though. It would be amazing. Just saying. Well, yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's really amazing. I mean, you know, saffron is an amazing mitochondrial and coupler. And the original expression worth its weight in gold was that saffron was so valuable. I think the other rather humorous thing is that two of the three gifts of the Magi and, you know, coming up were frankincense and myrrh. Mm -hmm. And these were actually, they were spices. Yeah. And so, you know, gold, frankincense and myrrh and, you know, the little baby Jesus gets two spices. It's yeah. like, Wow, that's I guess that's pretty important stuff. Yeah, I love that. This is so good. I'm telling you, putting that in your ear. Next book, fiction. One of the most overlooked things that we find at the telehealth center in new telehealth patients that is the underlying cause of why people are struggling with things like fatigue, brain fog, headaches, migraines, cramps. It's electrolyte imbalances. A tool that we use, and every telehealth patient that listens to the podcast will tell you that I recommend Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research revealing that optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels two to three times the government recommendation. Each stick pack delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes free of sugar, artificial colors, or other dodgy ingredients. Element is formulated for anyone on a mission to restore health through hydration and is perfectly suited for athletes, folks who are fasting, or if you're following keto, low carb, whole food, or paleo diets, honestly, it doesn't even matter because no matter what food protocol I have a patient on, Element really takes their health to the next level and it tastes delicious as well. They have amazing flavors like citrus, they have grapefruit, they have raspberry, they have orange. If you are looking for something during the colder months, the new Element Chocolate Medley features chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry, and is designed to be enjoyed hot. So you can have these hot or cold, so many different flavors. Check them out. Go to drinkelement.com slash willcole to receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through this special link. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash willcole. Real change happens when you're consistent and achieving the hair of your dreams is no exception. Thanks to Vegamore, a tool that we love recommending telehealth patients for hair health is Vegamore. And my telehealth patients that are consistent with using Vegamore, they are seeing the hair results that they've always looked for. Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. When you're consistent with these products, your hair is going to look and feel fuller, healthier, and thicker. What I would recommend 
is having your monthly subscription of the Grow Hair Serum, the GRO Hair Serum. That's what I recommend to telehealth patients. Vegamore makes it very easy to stay consistent with this hair serum. When you sign up for the monthly subscription, you can get one bottle or three bottles sent. Plus, you save more and you'll never run low on the products that I love and I recommend to our telehealth patients as well. Fun fact, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how great this stuff is. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash willcole and use code willcole at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash willcole. Code willcole to save 20% off your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash willcole. Code willcole. All right, let's talk about xenobiotics. You talk about it eloquently in the book. What are they and what should we be looking out for? Yeah, so, you know, in the plant paradox, I talked about the seven deadly disruptors and one of those are xenobiotics. That's, I wish there weren't so many biotics, you know, prebiotics, <laughs> postbiotics, xenobiotics, but these are endocrine disruptors. They are primarily from plastics. They are also in so many of our biocides, herbicides. Xenobiotics, we now know, sadly, are one of the big mischief makers in our hormonal health and cancer causation. They are implicated in even our our brain formation in utero and how we uh, are influenced just give me an example there there are studies of women who eat a lot of chicken during their pregnancy and they have boys who have uh, smaller penises mm. than normal and it's because of the phthalates not only in the chicken but also in the plastic wrap that mm -hmm. the chicken is wrapped in the sad thing is these things are ubiquitous and they the EPA is not particularly worried about them because the EPA says, oh, there's such small amounts in these things that, yeah, OK, they're an endocrine disruptor, but they're so minute that you never even have to worry about them. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem with these compounds are that they are hormone like compounds, but they're not true hormones. So normally a hormone, let's just use estrogen for an example, attaches to an estrogen receptor, gives its information, if you will, and then detaches. These endocrine disruptors, these estrogen-like compounds, attach to the same receptor, but then don't detach. Mm. So they're constantly turning that receptor on. So even minute amounts can have an untoward huge effect mm -hmm. just because they never let go. Wow. And that's the mistake we made. Mm -hmm. Now, what's exciting uh, that I write about in the book is that one of the really interesting hallmarks of super old people, and there are a number of them, is that they have a microbiome that eats xenobiotics and people go well, hey and they're eating plastics and they're eating this stuff well you know we 
we now have bacteria that can eat oil slicks. Now, and we forget that bacteria and fungi, they're just looking for carbon atoms, you know, to, to eat. Yeah. And plastics are carbon atoms. So isn't it amazing that these yeah. super old people, you know, have this set of bacteria that's protecting them from right. these compounds because they're eating them. And right. So that's what we got to do. We we got it takes a village. We got to foster yeah. these guys. What's your view over the years, like being in this space, you and I, and the research of fecal transplants? Do you feel like we're at the place now where people should like be getting these more, not so much? I'm thinking of these centenarians that aren't going to be around much longer. Like these microbiomes that that are from a different world in many ways. Is there a rainforest that's very becoming more rare? Is there something that we could use from them very literally in the form of their microbiome? Or are we not there yet as far as the science? Well, you know, this has been tried uh, by a few of our friends who have gone and given themselves enemas from the Hadza. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they don't take. And I think half of the problem is that we're not feeding these guys what they need. Mm. And we know that the diversity of the Hadza's microbiome is just incredibly diverse compared to someone, the studies of, of people living in London versus the Hadza. It's just, it's totally different. And the Sonnenberg work has also shown that they're actually very depressed about all this, that we literally, we have a desert in terms of our microbiome. And mm -hmm. they're not exactly encouraging that we'll ever get that diversity. I think the FDA, probably in its wisdom, is stopping a lot of fecal mm -hmm. transplants because there have been some mischief. Yeah, We can't control for all the things that go in there. Will crapsules ever <laughs> make it? I, I think there is hope for that. There's yeah. you know, an amazing study out of Arizona a few years giving autistic kids crapsules, and it was a very well done study. Mm -hmm. They put them on an acid blocker to make sure that these crapsules would make it into the gut. And they saw some very impressive changes mm -hmm. in behavior. So I have a feeling that there is hope for that because you could control what goes in that capsule yeah, a whole right. lot better. It's standardized. It's yeah. you know tested. Yeah. So yeah, TBD on that, guys. Wait for the capsules. <laughs> well, and the other thing that is exciting to me, and I write about this in Gut Check, at the base, our intestines are basically a shag carpet with all these microvilli. Yeah. And it literally is our root system. And the soil is literally our microbiome and what we eat. And at the at the base of these microvilli are, are called crypts. And those crypts are where the stem cells sit. And also there's this deposit of bacteria, uh, diverse bacterial species. And you know, it's the same thing. The appendix is not a vestigial organ. It's a mm -hmm. great, it's a bank account of these bacteria. And at least my feeling and my patients is it, these bacteria are literally in hiding because most of our guts, it's just a bunch of gang members with, you know, shooting everybody that goes by. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can, you can coax these guys out. And a lot of what I write about is 
you know, induce them out, uh, show them there's stuff to eat out here, get rid of the gang members by stop giving them sugars and saturated fats, and they will come out. And mm -hmm. that's my hope that we just haven't induced these guys to mm -hmm. come out of hiding. I think they're still there, at least. It seems like they're still there. I, I love your mind. I love your visual analogies. Shag carpet. I'll never get that out of my head now. I appreciate that. Okay. So you mentioned saturated fats. I know people's ears are going to be ringing there of, of, you know, people saying even me like that grass fed beef, like even though we know it's, that's not just saturated fat, that's saturated fat. Should people in your mind with what you've read, the latest research, be, they should be avoiding all, how much is okay? Is it by independent, dependent on some genetic variants? What should people's, what's your take on saturated fat at this point? Well, part of, part of the problem, not only, so you can have leaky gut, which the vast, well, every patient with an autoimmune disease that I see has leaky gut, period. Yeah, I agree. And quite frankly, most people with any active disease, whether it's diabetes, whether it's heart disease, whether it's uh, memory loss, has leaky gut. In fact, most people with leaky gut have leaky brain. Sorry about that. And it's unfortunate so name. It's an unfortunate name, but it, but it gets the point across. Yeah. <laughs> and so LPSs, lipopolysaccharides, are the cell walls of gram-negative bacteria. And gram-negative bacteria are not all evil. And people think, oh, we got to get rid of every gram-negative bacteria because that's where LPSs are. No, you don't. Uh, you, you need a tropical rainforest with good guys and bad guys. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, LPSs can get through the wall of leaky gut, but they can ride on fats, through on chylomicrons, which is how fats get transported across the wall of the gut. And they can literally hop a ride like a, like a hobo hopping on a train. And they can ride through the wall of the gut. And they are recognized by our immune system as a living bacteria. The barcode on the wall of this bacteria is recognized as a living bacteria. How do we prove that? We can take stupid volunteers and inject LPSs uh, into their veins, and they will go into septic shock uh, mm -hmm. as if we injected living bacteria into them. And of course, Wim Hof, who I've had on the podcast, maybe you have, Wim Hof is famous for not only not dying when he's injected with LPSs, but can train people to mm -hmm. withstand the effect of LPSs. So LPSs are bad actors and endotoxemia is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that kind of shocked a lot of people when I wrote The Plant Paradox is I wanted people to not use any oils for two weeks, even blessed olive oil. And they, it's in there, you gotta, it's, it's well hidden. And they go, what the heck, you're the olive oil king. You know, the only purpose of food is to get olive oil in your mouth. And that's true. But I'm so impressed that we do want to stop this endotoxemia and we want to not give them the opportunity. Now, it looks like they will hop on just about any fat, except there's some cool papers looking at sesame oil as blocking LPSs. And there's even better stuff looking at perilla oil. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, perilla oil is is almost pure alpha lenolenic acid, a short chain omega three. And in my clinics, we've shown that changing people over to perilla oil or organic canola oil, not as good, but a pretty good substitute, organic canola oil. Most canola oil has been sprayed with glyphosate. (laughs) Or a flaxseed oil really lowers LPSs. And it's pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. And I talked about the plant paradox. I think one of the reasons a no-fat guru like Dr. Esselstyn or Ornish mm-hmm. has a bit of a leg to stand on is they're eliminating that yeah. potential source. And Esselstyn, bless his heart, just turned 90. So, you know, so far, so good. Yeah, uh, got it. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he's miserable not having any fat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's another story. <laughs> it's a bleak existence. But I mean, do you feel, okay, so you're taking, I get that. I see that especially people with have lots of coconut oil. I see that people with that butter, you know, the, it, the butter coffees are a perfect example of that. Oh, like, yeah. Well-intentioned, right? But it's like- yeah, Sorry, hey, Dave. <laughs> sorry, Dave. We love you, Dave. But I mean, it, lots of that with an unhealthy gut, looking at labs, sometimes they can swing in a way that's not advantageous. So, True. all right. So what's your take on grass-fed beef? Like what's, do you feel like something like that, like the, the epitomization of saturated fat, where does that roll in with- fit into this endotoxemia and oils, the, the saturated fatty, fatty oils? So my my big concern with beef, lamb, and pork, and milk is this sugar molecule called NU5GC. And I wrote about it in The Plant Paradox and made a, a fairly strong case against it. I go, I really double down on the dangers of it in gut check. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of pushback and I already have. But first of all, I have no dog in this fight. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, yeah, the, right, you know, right. the, the beef state, you know, you know right, right. side you, of beef for breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't, don't, don't own a, a tofu company. Um <laughs> But what what was fascinating to me is looking at a lot of these super long-lived people. And one of the things that was interesting, particularly I spent spent a lot of time in Italy and France, and these people eat a lot of sausages, salamis, prosciutto, and they're long-lived. And I'm going, geez, you know, how how are they getting away with this? Is it all the other good stuff they're eating? Well, no. It turns out that this this sugar molecule, NU5, we don't make that sugar molecule. We have a sugar molecule called NU5AC. They differ by one molecule of oxygen. Otherwise, they're identical. And what we thought in the past was, as you and I know, uh, there is a strong correlation between uh, red meat eating and uh, milk drinking and cancer, heart disease, arthritis, and dementia. Strong association. And we could argue association does not mean causation. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. But here's the deal. We now know that we absorb new 5GC instantaneously in our small bowels. 
And we make antibodies to it, aggressive antibodies. It is a foreign compound. And we now know, though, that NU5AC, we use to line the wall of our gut. We use it in what's called the glycocalyx, which lines our blood vessels. There's a glycocalyx in our blood-brain barrier, and there are sugar molecules in our joints that are NU5AC. The new research shows that the more NU5GC-containing foods we eat, NU5GC substitutes for NU5AC in the lining of our blood vessels, in our blood-brain barrier, and in our joints, Hmm. and we have antibodies to it, so we attack it aggressively as a foreign compound. Hmm. The other thing that's new is that cancer cells use NU5GC to invite macrophages to produce inflammation. And in that inflammatory environment, cancer cells flourish in a low oxygen environment. And we only have, cancer cells can't make NU5GC. They they have NU5AC. So they get it from the diet only. Mm. Now, is there a workaround. And milk products are loaded with new 5GC, even sheep and goat. Is there a workaround? Bacteria love new 5GC. It's a sugar molecule. They'll ferment it. Hmm. And the exciting news is that fermented milk products like yogurts, kefirs, or cheeses have no new 5GC. It's gone. And fermented sausages have no new 5GC. It's gone. Wow. Prosciutto has no new 5GC. Prosciutto is a fermented food. Got so it. the great news is there's a, a work around this. So yeah. Fermented. So charcuterie boards are safe. Are safe. In <laughs> the fact, charcuterie industry will be safe after this book. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we just now here's the other proviso. The more new 5GC foods we make, we eat, the more new 5GC is deposited in these membranes. The good news is chicken and fish and shellfish have new 5AC. And, and the evidence is the more, the less new 5GC we eat and the more new 5AC we eat, the new 5AC displaces the new 5GC. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah, very cool. So being like more fish centric, pescatarian with these other meats, maybe in smaller amounts, that sort of balance and context to nuance. So that way, you know, I can have my steak and eat it too. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Rewind that bit, everybody, and listen to what Dr. Gundry just said. Okay. So let's jump. Speaking of causation and correlation and the difference between the two, let's talk about blue zones real quick. What's, you know, people see the Netflix documentary, they've read the book. I mean, what's, what, what do the, the, does that have right? What's sort of the myths and truths, I guess, around blue zones? As I write in the book, as Paul Simon said, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And a man, a man sees what he wants to see and disregards the rest. People don't even realize that the blue zones were named after a researcher in a, a longevity conference years ago in Montpellier, France, took out a map of the world and took a blue tip magic marker 
and drew circles around five places that he thought had impressive longevity. And Dan Butner was in the audience and said, whoa, these are blue zones. And that's actually where the word came wow. from. Now, 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 Dan is, you know, I've talked to Dan. He's a pretty good, you know, vegetarian, almost vegan. And he wanted, I believe, find the reason to believe that these guys, as a general rule, weren't eating a lot of meat. And that is true for most of these places. But what he was trying to convince people that grains and beans were the hallmark of all these places. And in fact, that's absolutely not true. In fact, Okinawans, 85% of their ancestral diet, which was actually written down by the U.S. Armed Forces as an occupying force, was 85% sweet potato. They don't eat rice. They can't grow rice on Okinawa, as I talk about in the book. And they don't eat tofu. They do use some miso, but they eat a lot of spicy vegetables. In fact, they're called the spice eaters in the rest of Japan. Mm. So much for that one. <laughs> Probably the best example is Sardinia. Now, Sardinia an island part of Italy, is really there's two parts to Sardinia, the folks who live down by the water and the folks who live up in the mountains. The folks who live up in the mountains have longevity. The folks who live down by the water don't, interestingly enough. Hmm. The folks who live up in the mountains are sheep and goat herders, and they eat a lot of sheep and goat cheese and yogurts. They're also smokers. About 95% of the men are smokers. Only about 25% of the women are smokers. And here's the rub. It's actually the men who have the longevity. Men in general live about six or seven years less than women, but the men have the longevity. And it's actually because of the smoking uh, that does it for them. Wow. In fact, on Icaria in Greece, the men are smokers, the women aren't. In Echiroli, south of Naples, which he didn't talk about, the men are smokers and the women aren't. And it's the smoking that makes a lot of this happen. And believe it or not, it is a, a good thing. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm a heart surgeon and cardiologist, don't smoke. But nicotine is really interesting as a mitochondrial coupler. Mm. And what these guys have done is they've mitigated against the negative effects of tobacco. Mm -hmm. The Ketavan, Stefan Lindeberg, spent his lifetime studying the Ketavans in Papua New Guinea. These guys smoke like fiends. Mm -hmm. And yet they never documented a case of coronary artery disease, never a stroke, and never a case of cancer. Mm -hmm. And you go, what the heck? Well, these guys had such a rich antioxidant and polyphenol rich diet that they mitigated the effects of this. Wow. That wow. is fascinating stuff. I oh, love that. Yeah. And the Nagoyan Peninsula of Costa Rica. Now, everybody eats corn and beans in Costa Rica. Okay, fine. <laughs> What's so different about the Nagoyan Peninsula? Well, they happen to be sheep herders. And there's a really cool paper that shows that they think that the corn and beans are the negative aspect of their diet that they have to have for calories, that the sheep milks and cheeses are what make them so special. And, wow. it's like, and of course, if I'm trying to convince somebody to be a vegan, 
probably would want to ignore that. <laughs> so we all need to get some sheep. Is that what you're saying? You know? Yeah. Sheep earnings are really good for you. Uh, one <laughs> last thing, which is really funny. The longest life expectancy of any country in the world is Andorra, this little tiny country between Spain and France in the Pyrenees Mountains. And these guys are sheep herders and they eat sausages every day as well. So, and they have a life expectancy of 90 years. Amazing. The other thing that destroys any other argument is, depending on who you want to believe, the, the second longest living community is either Monte Carlo or Hong Kong. And sorry, they certainly don't fit the blue zone map. Thank you for that. Oh man, people are going to love this. Go back and listen to all that, everybody. You know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. We did this last time you were here. This is going to be different questions. This is Dr. Stephen Gundry's Art of Being Well. First question is, you took the world by storm with plant paradox, like really informing the world about lectins, sort of the nuanced science context of that. You're also a man that is voracious reader, learner. You're, you're not afraid of evolving and pivoting as you learn more science, new discoveries, understandings. So I'm curious, what is a position that has evolved since writing Plant Paradox that compared to where you're at now, if any? Well, and the last chapter before the recipes and the eating plan and gut check is Plant Paradox 2.0. And it's, okay, you know, what have I learned? What have I changed my mind about? I'll give you one thing that I was, I guess, surprised. Again, most of my practice is now autoimmune patients. But one of the things that's interesting is I allowed a1, A2 milk products in the plant paradox, and I allowed eggs, hopefully omega-3 or pastured eggs. But one of the things that's fairly striking is the vast majority of my autoimmune patients react to all both A2 and A1 milk and, mm -hmm. and whey, and they react to both eggs and egg whites. And so most of these folks, I've had to take those away from them. Now, mm -hmm. when we start, now the exciting thing is, which I was hopeful, is that when we take these things away from them, we can oftentimes give it back to them once we heal their gut, yeah. which is exciting. The other thing that I was suspicious, but now I know 100% of my people with leaky gut have antibodies to the various forms of wheat, whether it's wheat germ gluten, whether it's gluten, whether it's non-wheat proteins. Mm -hmm. About 70% of my patients react to corn as mm -hmm. if it was wheat. So I'm sorry, let's not argue about this anymore. 100% of people have antibodies to wheat uh, mm -hmm. who have leaky gut. Now, yeah. the good news is, which is exciting, once you seal your leaky gut, those mm -hmm. antibodies to wheat go away. And I mm -hmm. have people who have been gluten-free for 10 years that still have antibodies to gluten when I see them. Yeah. What's your view of, I mean, speaking of fermentation and bacteria of sourdough with its ability to break down these glutens and lectins? That's a great question. The problem is, at least in our country, that Almost all of our grains, yeah. uh, including wheat, are contaminated with glyphosate. Right. And if you wanted to kill off important parts of your microbiome and cause leaky gut all by itself, glyphosate is the way to yeah. go. That, that's why you probably, you 
a lot of my patients who we reverse their autoimmune disease head over to Europe and, yeah, you know, yeah. they can't help themselves. They're eating the croissants <laughs> and the baguettes and the yeah. pizzas and the pasta and they do fine. Right. For the I most part. I see the same thing as a, exactly for the most part. For the uh, most part. And, people, and they go, well, Will has cured me of my autoimmune disease. Dr. Cole, thank you so much. And they come back here mm-hmm. and they start eating even our sourdough bread. And within weeks, they're, you know, they're on the phone going, what the heck? You know, I thought you cured me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, you weren't exposed to glyphosate over right. there right. as much. I, and that's perfect segue because I plan on asking you, I know that you love Italy, you're, you love the Italian culture. I just, we, just, we could learn so much, I think, from it and so much of the science you look at and the foods. Is there, what's your like, what's one of the best kept secrets around Italy, like place to visit that you feel like more people should know about? What we've kind of covered almost all of Italy. My wife and I like to rent a car and just drive looking for what are called white roads. And for those who don't know, white roads are literally gravel roads that when you drive on them, this this cloud of white smoke envelops your car. And our cars are literally white within a day. And, and we'll go up to this village. And my wife speaks French, but I and I, I speak Italian. I wave my hands and it works just great. <laughs> and we just go into these little trattorias or cafes and we just watch people eat. And I mean, for instance, years ago, one of the things that changed my life, we were sitting in one of these things and there were three gentlemen sitting across from us. And they had a pasta course and on every table, you'll see a bottle of olive oil. And so they finished their pasta course and they poured the olive oil into their, into their bowl. And then they're tearing off bread, which came later and they're pressing the bread and, and soaking the bread. And, you know, finally it's interesting. And I went over and I said, okay. And basically they said, one of them spoke pretty good English. He said, the only purpose of food is to get olive oil in your mouth. The only purpose of bread is to get olive oil in your mouth. And we just watch this over and over again. You go, you know, that's interesting. And Mm -hmm. maybe we should, maybe we should learn that the, and these people have a liter of olive oil per week. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's, there's obviously something to it. I love it. Great, great story. My friend, where can people get the book, learn more about your work? Tell them where to go. Well, please go to your local bookseller. They really got hit during COVID. They need our help. But the usual places, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever a book is sold. But your bookseller will order it. Uh, luckily, my books sell well, so they'll they'll have it. But please go there. Come to GundryMD.com, my supplement and food company, DrGundry.com, my website. Got two YouTube channels, the Dr. But Gundry podcast, and we've had the pleasure of hosting you several times. Thank you. So, yeah. And if I don't wave at you from your phone every morning while you're scrolling through the internet, I've done something wrong. (laughs) I want to know. I mean, it's true. That is true. (laughs) You have done it well. I love it. All right. I appreciate my friend. Come back anytime. Standing invitation. We'll see you next time. All right. So yeah, I'll bring my uh, nonfiction novel of yeah, the spice trade. That'd be fun. That'd be yeah. fun. Oh yeah. Historical fiction, spice trade, yeah. murder mayhem, and yeah, sp- spices, murder. spices and drugs. <laughs> we'll see you next time.
Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.